Welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast with me, Toby Webb. And joining us in this podcast is a group of experts talking about sustainability in operations and logistics. This is part of a session that we held at the Future of Wine conference on November 26, 2020. It is moderated by Richard Bamfield, MW, and we are delighted that we had sponsorship support from the British Standards Institution, Chateau Leube, Concha Itoro, DM and Control Union. And in the next hour, you'll hear Richard Bamfield, MW, moderate a session with Anton Mann, owner of Zisto Wines, Richard Ellison, founder of Wanderlust Wine, Troy Christensen, the CEO of Inotria and Co, and Chris Porter, business development manager for Kukla Beverage Logistics. Enjoy the podcast, and you can find more of these by searching for Sustainable Wine on any podcast channel. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody. to And this is a session on logistics, uh, operations and logistics, sustainability as it relates to them and how the delivery of wine might change over the next five years. Uh, I realise that for some, this may not appear the most glamorous of subjects in the wine business, but if we're interested in sustainability, as recent studies have consistently revealed, transport is one of wine's biggest contributors to carbon emissions. We have to take it seriously. It is, it is already coming under increasing scrutiny, and I think we have to expect that to continue. So we have four speakers this afternoon who are all involved in different parts of the business, which is quite fun, uh, both small and large and different types of operations. Um, and in a minute, I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves quickly. Uh, then uh, after they've introduced themselves, we'll go into the, the meat of the topic and they'll each uh, have, have a few minutes to talk about, uh, to answer the question. And then I will be scrutinizing the chat and hopefully please audience participate as much as you want uh, banter if you wish preferably intelligent observations comments and questions and uh, we will take it from there and there should be 10 to 15 minutes for for questions at the end if there's anything critical that comes up in the meantime i'll deal with that as it comes up okay excellent um anton We've not Hello. met in person, but I'm really pleased that you agreed to come to this because I read about what you're doing at Zisto Wines a year or two ago. Tell, tell us a little bit more about it. Um, I suppose uh, you said it's a boring subject. Um, I like to think we put a little bit of fun into it. Um, but we're obviously I <clears throat> recognise the challenges of bigger industries are very different to what we do. Um, we're very much um, working with small producers at a smaller scale. And we're probably the more extreme end of um, sustainability. So uh, we try and reuse our bottles, uh, boxes, uh, use um, uh, reusable pallet wrapping, and, you know, various stuff. But the main thing people um, tend to ask me about is the fact that we port to port, we use sail ships. So we don't, we use engineless sail ships. So we use the wind. <coughs> so our, <coughs> we've, over a period of time, we've we've made a uh, established a link between Porto and Bristol. I'm from Bristol. I've got lots of friends in Porto, and uh, this sort of started as a challenge. Really, uh, we've we ship all of our wine by sail ship into the cities, and then we try and connect all the way up. Um, and um, I suppose it's it's not one size doesn't fit all with what we do. So we work with producers and try and get them to use the best methods they can to work with us. I'll ask them where they get their bottles from, how they can get to the port. Here we've been running for 20 years on waste oil. So we use vegetable oil in um, some quite old banger vans occasionally. <laughs> it's not, um, uh, we, t we tend to sort of work um, a little bit against the grain, the opposite direction to, um, you know, like where in the, a lot of people are using lighter bottles. We actually use, we use the heavier bottles that people don't want. We reuse champagne bottles and bottle from the barrel and uh, the barrel comes on a ship. So it's a okay. maybe so it started off as a bit of a challenge um, that turned into a um, business. We might, we'll come back to all that in a minute and you can explain your, your business model in a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, just want to uh, introduce the other speakers. Sure. Uh, Richard, Richard Ellison from Wanderlust Wine. Um, 
I first came across you, well, obviously in the press, but also when I heard you on one of uh, Richard Siddle's excellent uh, sessions over recent months. Uh, tell us, and I was fascinated by your business model, but just to, before you talk in more detail about that, just introduce yourself quickly as well. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, I'm Richard Ellison, uh, founder of Wanderlust Wine. Um, we import um, small organic producers from around the world um, into the UK and represent uh, pretty much all of them exclusively. Um, and our whole our whole business model really is to, it really appeals, I think, and naturally towards the, towards the younger demographic of people who, who really do care about sustainability, as you've already said, Richard. Mm, okay, thank you very much. Excellent. Uh, Troy, Troy Christensen, who is CEO of Enotria and Co. Uh, Troy, uh, I suspect for many, you don't need a great introduction, but please do introduce yourself. Hi, Richard. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm the CEO of Anatrinco, so we're a large distributor of premium wine and spirits into the on-trade. We're a little bit across all channels, but um, sadly, most of our customers are shut down right now. But we do have a burgeoning digital business, as anyone digital has, but um, happy to share some thoughts on sustainability uh, happily. Okay, thank you. And Chris Porter, uh, Chris, who many of us knew when he worked initially at his family business, Porter and Laker, and then at Hillebrand, and now with Cookler uh, Beverage Logistics. Chris, sorry, I, I'm introducing you. You introduce yourself, please. <laughs> thank you for the invitation to join this, Richard. And yes, you took the words right out of my mouth. But um, uh, yes, 40 years, pretty much permanently in shipping and shipping and forwarding. Um, and uh, we've looked after the shipping and logistical needs of the very smallest and bespoke wine importer right the way through to, uh, to supermarket requirements and all the paperwork and handling that goes between supplier and, and final delivery point. Excellent. Pretty critical area at the moment for a variety of reasons, of course. Um, good. OK, Chris, thank you. Right. Anton, you, you started talking a little bit about the, the different strands to your, your business, um, which is, I suppose, linking produ like-minded producers and consumers, but via specialist means of transport. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to know, well, how customers view your initiative. And also, I think your business is still relatively young. How do you see it developing over the next well, five years or so? We, start, <clears throat> we started the project over 10 years ago. Oh, right. But um, uh, so uh, before that, I was doing uh, working with um, organic mushrooms in the inner city. So I sort of a bit like they bit like they call nowadays vertical farming. But again, it was about changing the supply chain, about not driving in heavy goods into you know, reduce, reducing our our um, our uh, mileage and our fuel use. Um, nowadays, I think uh, when we were doing that. Um, uh, which is 20 years ago, the mushrooms. Um, it was very, very niche and uh, a little bit um, probably seen as a, a little bit. Um, um, we get, we, we get a, when we first started with the ships, it was, it's, it was a very, very small amount of people who were very interested. And a lot of people sort of think it's um, either a bit fanciful. And also, I used to get people who, used to say to me what what a fantastic bit of marketing how clever you know the great marketing mate but quite often think that it was a a, a show you know we were doing this and i was saying no we this is how we transport every bottle this this is this is how this is our work method not not put on because there's an event in bristol docks or you know um so uh i think the um uh, the public have, are more aware of, or it makes more sense why we're doing it. When we used to reuse bottles and uh, run on waste oil, people just thought you were tight or a, or a bit of a hoarder. Um, so nothing's changed, but how you're perceived. You know, I've gone from sort of um, uh, uh, a pikey hoarder to, um, you know, you're, oh, you're, you're an eco uh, guy, you're an eco warrior. So you know, how, how things are being perceived. Um, ha is changing and also I think you know what's going on now with the pandemic we're living now is flagging up people's concerns about um, climate change and fuel use and and uh, etc so we've just carried on trying to forge a 
um, because of the scale we're at, we're at um, we tried to make a, uh, establish a supply chain that was completely free of fuel use mm. and, and reuse everything along the way. And, uh, and, it, and it, we're quite open about how we go about things. And we try and work with the producers to get, to get them to um, play their part. You know, yes, if they tell me that they show me the bottles, I say, well, could you, do you have to buy them in the other side of Europe? Um, we've had people say, could, could we do something with you? Could we ship some stuff from here to there? And you, uh, you're speaking to a producer and, and they're, they're hundreds of miles from the port. So I say, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, that would be sort of greenwash or, you know, this, is, this could be, there's no point us driving across Spain to put it on a boat from Porto to Bristol. It's, no. um, it's, it's not genuine. And um, are your restaurants mainly, uh, sorry, are your customers mainly restaurants or do you sell direct to the customer as well? We sell to restaurants and bars, mainly a, mainly a younger crowd uh, get the whole ethos and the idea and, you know, but um, also the, the, you have to sort of prove to people that the product we're bringing is high quality Portuguese wine. We're not shopping by ship. We we work with top young, mainly organic winemakers. Um, so uh, sometimes I get people who who buy our stuff because they like the story, uh, and then they're they're mildly surprised if the product's any good. Um, thankfully, that's changing a bit. But uh, you know, I do get people who buy stuff and uh, have bought it for the story of how it got here. Mm. And there's other people we sell. Uh, great wine too who are not not so fussed about the um, how we did it but I think I think that is becoming I'm having to explain myself less over the years um, when we're when we're doing some people seem to the penny seems to be dropping more at one point uh, I, was, I was getting a bit turning into running it sounding like a record saying what we were doing what we were trying to do yeah. and um, for me I was surprised that people didn't understand why you're not using fuel. Do you just um, ship to the UK? It strikes me that markets have, like Germany or Denmark could be... We have took, we've um, shipped wine to France, uh, Holland, Belgium, Germany. Um, not in a massive way. Worked with, a, worked with a producer that was very into it and we put together a, um, a wine and that sold to in various countries. We're still on the way now. We supply some um, small amount of wine into Western France en route. And um, uh, we have uh, taken, we did take some wine to the Caribbean years ago. Um, that's, you've got to be a bit careful with, we are using very low tech methods. Yeah. You know, we're not the, 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 the thing is we, the, 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 the idea years ago was an idea and a, a bit of fun to start with. And we're using those boats and the, the, the vessels we use because that's what was available. And that was that is what is available right now. But, um, you know, we're not completely adverse to technology. There are, there are people making plans to make boats that are super, super clean and a mixture of new technologies. Yep. But um, they're still um, generally not, you know, that's still in its infancy. Okay, excellent. Many thanks. I'm going to move to, we'll come back later, but in the meantime, um, Richard, I'd like to move on to yourself. I touched on your business model earlier. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that? And also how, well, how, the, how, how sustainability fits into your view of business and how you manage your business? I think the first thing we've got to do here is define, I mean, you've probably been defining sustainability all day long, but really for me, what does that mean? It actually started with organics. So, you know, I've been a big believer in, in, in organics being true for one, you know, since the start, of, you know, since I really learned about it. And um, so the first thing was we, the wine we want to bring here, we want to be sustainably, uh, sustainable in, in economic terms, but also environmental terms. And then from there, um, actually, there was another portion of sustainability that came into it, which was the whole operational side of things. So, when I started the business, you know, I had the idea, I imported the first few pallets and I started selling wine. I had a job. So how do you run a business, a wine business, which is box shifting while you have a full-time job? I tell you, it's impossible. 
because you haven't got you, you do, you're, you're at your desk, you're, doing, you're being paid by someone else. So quickly, and I remember if I take myself back, you know, four years when I started the business, d- doing Excel invoices in my mum and dad's uh, living room on Excel. I just thought, this is just, this is, well, this is just not sustainable. I can't do this. This isn't going to work. And then I quickly realized that actually, I just hadn't really been thinking about it the right way. And it isn't going to be sustainable economically as a business for me to employ many people to sit here and push emails and Excel spreadsheets around. Um, If I can automate this using technology, I won't actually have to do anything. So the whole premise was, could I get to a place where... um, could I get to a place where the order comes in and effectively it's it's fulfilled through through a technology um, through a technology play and that's what we've built and refined over the last four years. So um, then, when I looked deeper, actually a lot of the big merchants they spend all of their money and all of their profit, all their operating profit, on people doing paper pushing rather than actually adding value to the to the process and the consumer. So. Um, I basically built a, a, a technology back, back end to the business, which automates everything. So someone comes onto the, to our website, they order a case of Prosecco, that's fulfilled next day delivery with text message and email control, and we don't do anything. No one of a Wanderlust Wine employee does anything. It's sourced, it's outfilled to partners on a scalable model. So that's that meant that, that has meant that we've been able to grow. Uh, over 100% year on year, every single year. So um, our growth numbers are pretty staggering uh, and, and we think they can be maintained. We've still got a long way to go because the wine market is huge. Um, and obviously we sell to restaurants and, and to consumers nationwide. Um, so it, it's been a bit of a labor of love really, but there's, there's different layers of I try and pick it apart about sustainability in regards to the ethos of the products that we believe in to what that does for the people around them and also for the sake of, uh, you know, is it sustainable to have 10 people in operations that just sit there and push orders around? I don't think it is because the business doesn't make money and it doesn't have the profits to reinvest. And then that's economically, you know, as an ex-banker, I would say economically that is a weaker business because it doesn't have the free cash flow to actually have a buffer for anything that goes wrong. So that's sort of a quick, a very potted history of, of of what we do, um, uh, and yeah, it's obviously it's obviously proved to be the only way that we could have done things. And through COVID, you know, the three to five hundred percent increase that people that we've seen that, that that's been our saving grace because it's really tested the model and proved the model. Yeah, and the model, the the automation, it goes all the way through to invoicing as well, from past that, order, order, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way past that, everything, every, every single thing. Career, logistics, stock, is, yeah. invoicing, accounting, uh, you name it. It is terrific. And I, I'm really glad you brought up um, economic sustainability because that it's, I think it's, unfortunately, it's often forgotten. Um, and uh, and that is so important. And that does strike me as one of the key uh, assets of your yeah, business. I mean, you know, and this is a very testing time for a lot of companies. It's one of those. It's one of those cliche phrases, I think, in, in finance sector anyway. That you know, everyone's out there swimming. When the tide goes out, is when you see who's been caught swimming naked. And that—that's exactly what your point is about economic sustainability: is having that cash buffer and profit buffer, where the, there, there is some room for things that might go wrong. If you're running very, sailing really close to the wind, not to use a, a pun of what we've just been talking about, but um, uh, if you're sailing too close to the wind with you know, how the business operates and profits, making very small amounts of money. If the wind changes direction by 5%, suddenly you're losing quite a bit of money, especially for a large company. So I, I think it's something that isn't talked about enough in the wine industry. And actually, the reason I think that people don't make enough money in the wine industry, my personal opinion is, there's too many people doing the non-added value roles and not enough people adding adding value to the consumers because people haven't worked out to use technology and part of it is it's, it's a victim of itself the industry doesn't pay enough therefore we can't attract the right talent therefore the people don't come into the industry and help it refine itself yep. and that's why you generally have much older people leading wine businesses in the uk 
and much more people that, that, that don't use technology that you would see in other industries as comparable. Um, so yeah, I'm very passionate about technology as you can hear, but our, our business wouldn't be here now um, if I hadn't worked out a way to do it with, with that automated system. And presumably, the, 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 so the, the the picking of orders is all contracted out to your to your warehouse, and you can you can offer mixed cases as well as uh, unspit cases, presumably as well. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Gift gift notes, pick cases, gift wrapping. Uh, the courier is all outsourced as well, but it, it's a partner fulfilled model, which is highly scalable. Because if I uh, do a hundred orders a day, I pay for a hundred service, you know serviced orders a day if i do a thousand i pay for that so it's economically it just adds up yeah uh, um yes okay uh there's a question here um interesting one what <laughs> what's the percentage of errors like compared to human error virtually zero if everything is if the machine is working it's like it's like saying how does 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 your um washing machine wash your clothes every time well, yeah, it does, but now and then it will break down and you've got to fix the thing and everything comes to a grinding halt. It, it, it's a machine. It's an, it's, an, it's an electronic machine that you just have to keep well-oiled. Um, so our website, for example, did, did us for four years but was virtually on the point of breaking and now we've just launched a brand new website and, you know, we've got the latest latest spec that we really needed. But, you know, that's a good example of, um, of, of, of the fact that you have to keep investing Yes. Okay. And however I phrase this question, I suspect it's going to come out wrong. How do you have a relationship with your customers? So, what do you mean? How do you, well, it strikes me that you're that there is no um, voice contact with your customers. So, I suppose your relationship is through how you design the website. Um, but it, but there's there's very little. It maybe it's not important. No, I think, I, think, I, think, I think what you're saying there is we're moving to a, I don't want to use the word millennial from a generational perspective, but our consumers are millennials. We attract 24 to 44 year olds. That's the millennial category. Those people don't want a phone call to say, thank you for your order. They just want to get on, order the wine and have it at their door next day without any hassle. It's a different way. It's a different mentality in the way you interact with your consumers. Um, and, and we do have voice contact. You know, people phone up. It's not a problem, and we can help them with their order, but we don't expect to make phone calls and, again, spend time not adding value to people. They just want to have email and text messages control and know that the courier hasn't smashed it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And presumably, as your back-of-house system was, I mean, okay, it needs to be maintained, but it's a, a, a one-off cost spread over a few years, so presumably that works out economically very efficient compared to employing people. Absolutely. And we pay, if you think about well, partner outsource, so basically warehouse and courier, you pay per order. So the, the problem is that, uh, let's just say when I started, if I'd have employed someone that cost £30,000 a year, I'd have been losing a shed load of money because there wasn't enough orders for that one person to fulfill 100% of their time. So how do you balance the amount of people you need for the exact amount of numbers that you've got on a daily, weekly, monthly and yearly basis? It's virtually impossible to get it right. And... Um, yeah, you know, we're still in control and we still understand what, where the data is and where the data is flowing. That's important so we can answer questions. Um, it's just the fact that, um, you know, our money's spent improving, I think, what we do, who we work with and the wines we've got rather than, you know, having an office full of people. Very well, good. We're effectively giving, giving some money away, aren't we, to other people rather than keeping ourselves and employing people. It's a, it's a different style of, of economical relationship. Yeah. Okay. And just one other question here. Um, when there are uh, errors or client complaints, who deals with those, yourself or the outsourced contractors? Uh, we, deal with, we deal with all the customer contact for a few different reasons. Um, but we obviously pass that on. I think one thing I would say, and I have to put this in the right phrase, if you are using a partner outsource model, those businesses normally want to deal with you, right, which is why it works, and they want your business. If you employ people, it's often the case that they actually don't really want to work for you, and there's sometimes, you know, they're just doing it because they have to, you know, go and get a job sometimes. It's very hard to find the right people that are motivated by the right roles. Yeah. We just, we've just, I've just found that actually 
it's worked fantastically well for us because it's about partnering with people that want to do business with you. Quite Good. simple. There are various questions here. I'm not going to be able to do them all now, but just one more. Um, I, I'm sorry, I should have looked at this on your website. Do you use customer reviews on your website? Uh, sorry, to review us or to review the wines? To, re <laughs> to review the wines, I was thinking of. To review wines. Uh, yes, but because we've just replatformed our website, we couldn't carry the old reviews along. So that's why they're all blank at the moment. Okay. Literally two weeks old. But so normally, yes. normally they would be important. Yes. Uh, yes, normally they'd be there, but you can't see any because we'd have to start, we've had to start afresh. Thank you very much, Richard. And we are now moving from relatively young and smallish business, but obviously growing, to Enotria & Co, um, who are, uh, I suspect, the, the, the largest distributor in the country. Um, Troy, there's much been written the last few months about uh, how COVID has accelerated the wine trade's application of new technology, particularly when it comes to logistics and distribution. Can you just comment a little bit on how you see that from, from your seat at, at Enotria & Co? Sure. Let me, let me give you a little perspective of our business. So we are a couple hundred million pounds, probably one of the larger premium wine and spirits distributor. And it, it breaks across uh, the on-trade, about 50% of our sales are sort of premium regional on-trade, the Michelin star restaurants, gastro pubs, independent specialists, 30% uh, large national accounts. Those are the events, travel. Those are most of the people that are shut down right now. We do about 15% the off-trade and then 5% pre-COVID was retail. Um, obviously, uh, just like Richard, we saw quite a significant uptick on uh, the retail side of it. And I, I do think there are a couple of things that are happening sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID that, that you need to deal with. We are vertically integrated. We feel it's important to deliver to our customers and provide a level of service. Um, everybody is much busier. So some of the technology applications we have is an electronic proof of delivery. So again, when you have a lot of people that are using the same kinds of folks to outsource, there is a sameness to the, the delivery proposition. And we actually have GPS tracking and the ability that we can see where the truck is. Uh, so we had uh, almost 3,000 calls last year and people asking where the delivery of the product is. Because in a lot of the Michelin star restaurants, they're running around, they're trying to buy food and they want to be there. They don't want to hire someone to sit there and wait for someone to come in. So we actually uh, have the ability to do that, see where all of our product is. And just like some of the digital uh, places, we're going to put on the website so people can dial in and see where uh, the, the product is coming as it as it arrives. But I think on the sustainability side, this is where you know I think uh, there are a lot of things that are technology and uh, opportunities, but then there's a lot of the basics um, that you have to do as well. And I think cost savings associated with some of the sustainability aspects of it is extremely important. So uh, you know we bring in a lot of product from everywhere across the world. Um, the industry itself is very fragmented. Guys like Hillebrand uh, make a good chunk of money on that. But if we can take a lot of time in, in working with our suppliers so that we're shipping stuff and filling the container through groupage or coordinating with what's going to continue to move from Argentina into Europe, it, it not only is a, a large savings opportunity, um, but also it provides you know, a, a reduction of the carbon footprint. Uh, one of the things in the off-trade business that we spent a little bit of time and when I was previously at Constellation with Accolade, we really focused on, but this industry has a huge fragmentation and everybody is a little bit, um, you know, delivering themselves from their outsourced warehouses independently to the various uh, customers. So you have this huge fragmentation of customers, sorry, suppliers, you have a pretty common base of customers and so you're delivering um, the product to the customers and ultimately you're leaving, it's, it's very inefficient. So we've worked with a couple of retailers to say, what if we took your products in full truckloads, not to your NDC where it has to be put away, then repacked and shipped back out to your regional distribution centers. But if we found and collaborated with enough people that are coming from similar warehouses and can go in one truck directly into your regional distribution center, I can save uh, 75p a case, which is pretty difficult in this market to, to, to save any other, and we're taking tons of trucks off the road. 
the challenge you have is because of the fragmentation, the, the lack of system integration, and the fact that there's a lot of customer tension or competitor tension, you're not getting the chance to people to coordinate. We've done it with some folks, but there's a real reluctance in the trade to work together to maximize the shipping and distribution, which is unfortunate because there's cost savings there for, for everybody. Um, but I think just like, uh, and I think that the next big area of sustainability and the impact on the business is um, ultimately uh, the digital and the e-commerce side, because we've seen Everybody has seen, obviously, a pretty large um, uptick on that. And uh, you haven't quite had the consumer. So I think during the pandemic, uh, many of the consumers have sort of ignored uh, previous echo sensibilities that they had beforehand. Um, in the States, you can't reuse the grocery bag anymore. Um, people are pouring bleach and cleaning everything down with as much detergent as possible to get rid of COVID. And we're using lots of um, e-commerce and parcel carrier uh, services, which has questionable sustainability aspects of it. And um, if you look at uh, the, the parcel delivery services, so just like Black Friday this week, 85% um, of UK consumers will buy something online. And in surveys, they admitted only 10% of them consider the, the footprint. So I think we've shifted into that area. A lot of people are shopping there, but very quickly, they're going to find that they're going to want the same kind of sustainability around the e-commerce deliveries that they, that they demand in other parts of their, their purchase um, uh, repertoire. Uh, so that, that's 400. And so just for Black um, Friday, 429,000 tons of carbon emissions which is actually 435 return flights from New York City to London. Um, and with this trend, uh, even at the, at the peak of the, the lockdown in the first market, a third of the entire retail sector went through digital. Um, and even in September before lockdown 2.0, sales were up 50% from the prior year. One of the things that's driven this, it isn't just the uh, millennials, a lot of the older folks that previously were reticent to come online, the silver surfers, they call them now, sort of forced themselves into buying digitally because they were nervous for health-related, COVID-related reasons to go shopping. Now, they have changed their, their behavior pattern quite significantly. And there are some real interesting innovations going on in there, but there's also some things that you have to do um, in a way that, that is back to the basics um, in order to save uh, a, a lot of the money and drive sustainability. And I think with the fragmentation of the trade, sometimes we don't necessarily look to that a little bit. So where I think um, you, you're seeing a bit of focus and innovation, both on the cost savings and sustainability through the digital piece, which is going to be a continuing trend. Um, one of the things is first-time delivery. So during lockdowns, people were mostly there. We used a parcel carrier that absolutely imploded. Initially, we had to transfer uh, over to someone else, but ultimately we turned on a number of our drivers so that we could deliver the backlog of passing uh, of products to our customers. And um, you really, you know, most people were there during the lockdown or they might've been walking around, but actually uh, the missed first time delivery costs 1.6 billion pounds to then rehouse and redeliver again. So this is a giant cost to the industry, to the trade that just then um, also turns into additional carbon footprint. And so trying to find a way and proactively engage your customers, and this is both on-trade, off-trade, um, sorry, uh, the on-trade and the digital side to make sure your customers are home when you're delivering is a very important aspect of it. Um, I think there's some other innovations that are going on that, that uh, people out there that or we should as an, a category look at. And, and fashion has been, I think, ahead of our category in looking at innovations and things it can do. Um, and then 10 to 20% of online retail is returned. And so what they've done is develop an entire new channel there. There's a group called ZigZag. Um, ASOS, as an example, has a partnership with... Um, DPD. And what they're doing is instead of bringing everything back to the retailer to then try to be resold, they're actually bringing it to a centralized place and someone else that redistributes it, almost like secondary wholesaling of retail product. 
And the ASOS example, it's actually the used product. So someone's actually selling their used clothes through this channel and it's creating a substantial secondary market um, that consumers are starting to go to to buy a product. And I think it's something, even though there's not a lot of people returning wine, it's a category that I think um, we should look at. I think one of the other challenges on the digital side is packaging. So sustainable packaging, I know we're all avoiding plastic, but when you look at the size of um, you know, the, the corrugated and the outers that have to go with wine, because the product is fragile, it, it is just a bunch of packaging. Now, most of the, uh, the providers are pr providing recycled and reusable, but I think there, there are some people that are doing some interesting things. Um, one of the clothing companies, H&M, uh, they actually have a bag that when you carry it home with your product in, you can actually fold it into a hanger and use the bag as your hanger. Um, DPD has these little inserts that you can plant and it actually will help you grow a garden. So again, I think these kinds of things uh, we as an industry need to be pushing. Otherwise, we're going to be seen as a very non-sustainable part of uh, a growing parcel carrier system that is uh, really driving um, the business forward. And because of the size and scale of our product, it becomes difficult. But there are some real innovations with a lot of the other uh, digital players um, there's a thing called delivery dogs in the States and it's a, 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 a driverless vehicle that drives down the streets. And then when it gets close to its, um, the business or consumer, a, a little dog comes out. It's a, a driverless vehicle that takes the packaging um, up into the, into the, the place uh, or to deliver it. So there is some great innovation that's going on. I, I think the challenge that we have is a category. We are uh, always on the back foot. We aren't, uh, considering things like innovative packaging and these kinds of things. Some of the beer guys are doing it, recyclable packaging. Um, so I do think, as, as you mentioned, Richard, there is this big shift to digital. Um, because of the digital push, there is a lack of sustainability around the parcel carriers that I think people are going to get focused on that we have to be on the front foot with. A lot of uh, cities and countries, because of their COVID-impacted budgets, are actually looking at this giant uptick in parcel carrier services for a revenue opportunity. So in France, in Chicago, some of the big cities, they're talking about putting big charges on the parcel carriers couched in sort of terms of its lack of sustainability when actually it's just a revenue raise. So um, I think with the technology, we should get some collaboration. We should look at what some other people are doing out there. Um, and I think, you know, wine historically and some of the guys, Anton and, and Richard are doing some really innovative kinds of things. Um, and sometimes the big guys get stuck in the middle because we're moving so much volume. But I think the opportunity with the pandemic is to take an open look at how this is working to see if we can find uh, some innovation on the back of what other people are doing as well. Thank you very much. Some really positive comments in the in the chat about how um, full on you're, you're, you're addressing these issues. Uh, I was astonished by the figure of missed first time deliveries. Um, you mentioned the, the value, uh, the cost of them. Do, have you any idea what the percentage is of deliveries of the missed first time? Uh, it's, it's a group that, that did a study. I think it's as high as 15 to 20 percent. Depends a lot on the category and pandemic was down a little bit less. Um, but this is why it's become so important for a lot of, of people. But the same thing happens with us in the on-trade. So um, we have done a lot with our systems. We do automatic routing. So we try to keep the same drivers in the same area. Um, we'll route at night. Then we'll provide uh, people with a text that tells them, you know, just like your, your normal digital side of it. But, but again, the, the on-trade here has been pretty, pretty poor. I mean, there's two big giant companies, DHL and Kunanago, that you know, move kegs around. Now DHL can can track a pen to your house, but they have no idea where all their kegs are. So I think by the lack of, and I think Richard talked about the sustainability of the trade, um, the problem is uh, he's right. There hasn't been a lot of profit and there's been some underinvestment. So some of the cool technology that you're seeing work for other folks and some of the smaller folks are deploying um, are not being deployed at some of the larger areas. We have invested in this because we want to see that delivery the first time. And if we don't get it right and they're not there, then ultimately our driver has to drive around and circle back or come back the next day, which is a waste in both money and, you know, carbon, carbon emissions. So there must be conversations going on between distributors and the, the parcel carriers, the couriers, 
to try and address this issue. How do you how do you see it being resolved? It's you know it's interesting when you have, and I think that's the big shift that um, from an on trade to the consumer base. So again, we were primarily on trade. The pick in the warehouse is completely different, B2B versus B2C, but the consumer engagement is is absolutely very different. When you're dealing with a a customer in the on-trade, the most obstreperous restaurateur still needs to maintain a level of decorum um, to deal with you and not to get a bad reputation. If you miss someone's Peroni shipment by four hours, they got 500 posts on on your Instagram site about how terrible you are. And uh, our poor customer service people during the, the lockdown, because our parcel carrier did a, a, a little bit of underperformance and we had to find alternative sources, the, the level of angst at the consumer just is a completely different level. And so we spent a lot of time and effort and put in different tools. Uh, we put in a tool called Freshdesk that would allow us to, to specifically identify. It's a, it's a help desk tool so that anybody that calls, all their tickets are tracked, you know, everything about that person, what their complaints are and what their issues are the second they call or email so that you can track and provide uh, the feedback a lot better. Um, Integrating that with chatbot, Richard's right, a lot of the millennials, they don't want to call and talk. They want quick little texts. Um, They want a a chatbot level one kind of service. And so the kinds of things that you have to put in your business to properly engage with the consumer on a digital sale is completely different in our experience than the B2B. And we had invested strongly in our B2B and we had to really catch up on the B2C side during lockdown. Yeah, uh, Troy, there are a lot of other things I would like to have caught up with, but I need to move on to Chris Porter now. Hopefully we'll be able to get, come back later, but thanks very much. Um, Chris, uh, what's, look, you, you're involved with international transport and logistics. I'd love to know what you see as the, 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 the drivers, what's happening with regard to sustainability in that sector at the moment? Well, thank you, Richard. I, I think the, the, the first thing to say is that um, we are, uh, we're looking at the, as, as straightforward and slightly different from, uh, from the guys who you've just spoken to who, who are doing really interesting things with their, with their businesses. And it's fascinating to hear each and every one of them. Um, I suppose as, as specialist freight forwarders to the drinks industry, we are looking to be all things to all people um, because we've listened to our clients and um, we want to provide that exact fit to meet that business requirement that these three gentlemen have just spoken about. So I've, I've prepared, um, I've gone into this thinking what would, be, um, what would be the most innovative thing to answer your question um, on the big on the big picture, in the, the big global scale, and a sort of smaller logistical provider as well. How 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 would we think about that? And I think um, the biggest innovation this year has been the increased arrival of the literage of um, the capacity in bulk flexi tanks. Um, this traditionally has been twenty four thousand liters, um, and for people who don't know what a, a bulk flexi tank is, it's basically a 24,000 litre bag laid on the floor of a 20 foot container filled at the winery and and shipped. Um, uh, And we've just been experimenting this year with 26,000 litre capacity. Um, And we've been looking at 27, but that that yet is a proof of concept yet to be proven. But uh, the 26,000 litre bag has been been proven. Um, that's like shipping an extra 166 cases of 12 75 centiliter bottles um, with a, not much of a price differential. There is a bit of a price differential, but when you work it back, it costs less and uh, the sustainability factor is, is greater. Taking it into um, places like Greencroft in Kingsland um, uh, has, been, has been welcomed by our, by our clients and um, it's been, a, it's been a huge, huge success, and uh, there are some large companies who have tried it out with us. Um, I know looking at, looking at the, uh, carbon, the carbon emissions and the waste, certainly with waste reduction, um, all the bags are recyclable. They're only, they're only used once. And certainly, uh, certainly again, Kingsland and, and Lanchester have led the way in, in providing that, that lead. And in the case of Lanchester, they, they have uh, 
I think that I'm right saying they have their own um, it's their own wind wind powered uh, wind powered site um, with glass with glasses recycled as well. Um, so that that would be the biggest innovation I would say in the last 12 months um, on 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 the big side with the uh, with the bottles um, with the bottle carriers. On the case side, um, it's essential to obviously reduce road trailer transport wherever possible. Cutting out road transport from, um, whether it's from Bordeaux or Siena or, or Rioja, um, the use of intermodal freight, and by that I mean collecting on, say, Spanish traction from the winery, taking it to a local rail terminal, railing up to, term, to the final U, EU port of departure, uh, sailing in, sailing to the UK port, London Gateway or Tilbury or Teesport, um, and then taking it on UK traction either to another rail terminal or directly to or directly to the final warehouse of receipt. Um, the, the huge difference in carbon emissions that that can that can provide is is phenomenal. There's, there's about a third as much again, uh, about a third as, as, as much uh, which we which we're looking towards towards saving and. With groupage, it's possible as well. With groupage, um, groupage for, for producers to have hub depots all over all over Spain, France. I know there is an element of using um, road transport for suppliers to have to deliver into our depots, um, but then to put in steel-sided containers to work in the intermodal way that I've just outlined, as opposed to having road transport bringing groupage over from, um, from France or Spain or Italy, it has got to be an aspiration for the future. And this is what we've, we've worked to with warehouses just outside Calais, Bilbao, Verona, where suppliers can deliver in small quantities for us to collate into a weekly groupage departure in the steel-sided containers and take all that mileage out of, out of the road and put it onto a, onto a rail terminal. Um, Obviously, and there is a supply and demand issue here, I'm, and that's the elephant in the room here. And I think um, my concluding point would be, and it's, it's going to sound perhaps, it's perhaps a little bit delicate, but the more we can get, a, get away from the JIT just-in-time mentality and, um, and until demand planning, whether it's with algorithm, algorithms or through just sitting down with your freight forwarder and looking at it, looking at this manually and saying, you know what, we will use sea services. Although it's going to take 14 days to ship from, from Genoa into, into Tilbury or, or, um, or Teesport, we, we have to put this at the top of our agenda if we want green, sustainable transport to work. We have to get rid of just-in-time mentality and thinking. Um, if your promotion is due in the middle of January, then allow time for that. Get rid of the little and often way of shipping because little and often means we're thinking okay you need this next week you've got two pallets to ship from the moselle it's going to be pick up pick up week one deliver week two ordinarily on on road transport um but if we if we have we have the capability to do anything the tools in our box the freight forwarding fraternity are many and if our, we listen to our customers if our customers are saying, I have to have this tomorrow, we can get it to you tomorrow at a cost of both monetary cost and um, carbon emission cost. And I know that is commercially sensitive. If your customers are saying to you, we've had a rush on it, we're out of stock, it's got to be on our shelves, otherwise you're going to get delisted. Um, I understand that. But if we really are going to put the green sustainable agenda at the, at the top of all our agendas, then we have to start now in thinking realistically, increase lead times, begin to stock hold more in, in warehouses, both here and with your suppliers. I know there's a space restriction at some suppliers, particularly small family-owned estates, but with, with warehouses in the UK um, especially, and I won't touch on Brexit, but that could that could change as a reflection of what's going to happen after January. But I think you have got to engage with, let's all talk about it together. I know, Richard, what you said at the, at the top of the introduction, you know, it's a very unsexy subject, shipping and forwarding. 
Um, but the mindset is going to have to change and engage your freight forwarder, whether it's Cutler or I'm speaking as a, a freight forwarder who's loved this industry for the last 40 years and I've seen it change and demand, demand, demand. And that's, that's fine. And obviously, I, as a consumer, want my wine the following day. And um, I, I, the people I buy from get it to me in an unbelievably efficient way. Um, but I think there is going to have to be a mindset change with A, the storage and how much is stored of each SKU and also how, how we get it there. Um, because I think there is a bigger role to play for intermodal freight um, and how you, you, we collectively, as a, as, a, as a community, use intermodal freight to the best of its capacity. Um, and don't just use the Calais Dover routing. There are plenty of other ports. There's Rotterdam, um, Rotterdam, Bilbao, Genoa, I mean, any port you care to mention, there are shipping services coming out of there. Um, let's look at increased lead times and consequently, let's look at, I know increased lead times is not something I'm used to saying, but purely in this heading, in this context, this is what we've got to do um, if we want to put uh, the future of, uh, of wine transportation, sustainable, green at the very top. Sorry, does that answer the question? That's, that's terrific. Thank you. And some very positive comments again in the, the chat here. Um, yeah. just, I'd be interested, the, the, the rail infrastructure that you talk about as required, is that already in place or does that need investment in different European countries? Uh, yes, it is already in place. Um, although here I think it's still quite limited. I mean, from London Gateway, for example, um, and Tilbury, there's, there's a, uh, I think I'm right in saying there's a, ra a rail to, uh, rail to, to Daventry. Um, there's certainly a rail up to Leeds, uh, and obviously to Leeds it doesn't take that, that far to get up to somewhere like, uh, like Greencroft at, uh, at Teesport or, or and certainly into, into Manchester. I know Ellen Kingsland have, have also used the canal because they're as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a means of transportation to, take uh to take road mileage off the m62 as as what as wines have, been, as have, have arrived in the northwest at northwest ports so another great initiative there from 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 another bottler um so yeah the rail network is in place but i think there's there is really something that, that there is further investment hs2 might yet bring that but i i there is some way to go obviously that's some way down the line certainly for commercial uh for commercial freight but um yeah, the infrastructure is there and, uh, and, and will be. But um, I mean, London Gateway was a, was a huge example of how a port needs to be um, prepared for the future. The land that London Gateway is built on can, can extend for acres surrounding that because it has, has the space to expand and expand and expand for most of this century, I would have thought. It's a, it's a phenomenal port. And uh, um, and I think that's that's one where we we really need the rail rail connection to work to be expanded and the network to be expanded. Um, and okay, Chris, I'm going to stop you there because there's one or two other questions I want to try to get to. Yes. Uh, Jane Masters has asked about the use of fossil fuels in shipping, and whether there are any development of non-fossil fuels, sorry, um, in shipping, and whether there are any developments in that area. Well, um, there is. Not so much the, fo the fossil fuel. There, well, there are um, there are ship container ships that um, four or five years ago we had something that was quite unpopular that we bought in called a Marpole surcharge, which was a marine pollution surcharge, which uh, required um, all older ships to be upgraded so they could so they could take uh, take low low emission fuel. Um, so and any any ships that didn't have this didn't have this requirement was um, were uh, prevented from from sailing until they they did have have that particular requirement. Um, there's a very interesting in doing a little bit of research on this. There's a very interesting study that I read about um, on the um, use of hybrid engines for lorries, both electric and fossil fuels in the most common types of lorries. Um, this is a, a, an ambition. Um, most haulage firms have got to meet EU truck regulations, which must have a combination of electric and fossil fuels by 20, 2025, which is quite a demanding, um, a, quite a demanding uh, 
suggestion, but by using dual fuel combustion and a hybrid structure, um, it's felt that the benefits of both types of fuel can be used in lorries going forward. And uh, that is that is very much the agenda for the haulage industry. I'm certainly not saying don't use, don't use road freight because um, there is there are plans afoot to get it away from the image of a smelly diesel lorry um, so by 2025, having hybrid hybrid lorries um, on, on the roads in some shape or form to, uh, to cut down on where we are at the moment. Okay, Chris, that's terrific. Thank you very much. Um, Troy, I'm going to come back to you if I may. You will have heard the point that Chris made about just in time. And the, fact, and the pressures that that puts on the logistics business and providers, and often at environmental cost. Have you got any thoughts on that and how practical a shift is? Uh, I mean, he makes a great point, but I, I think it is a, a very difficult, uh, well, it's a challenge that, that has to be made through systems and processes. And a lot of times, you know, just a different uh, commercial mindset, because when you're working you know, with uh, some of the retailer, they won't even tell you what promotion slot that you have um, until it happens because they're nervous that somehow that information is going to get to one of the other big retailers. And, you know, the difference could be 100,000 cases of, of product. Um, and, and so uh, he's right. But, you know, it's one of those things that does need to take a, a bit of a, a shift um, of mindset, and I think the you know commercial collaboration. Uh, so, so there is a sustainability opportunity by operating differently, uh, which I think a lot of people have talked about. Uh, but we have to shift our mind to get there because the consumer demand is not going to change at all. So there has to be a, an operational change up and down through the value chain in order to do that, and even some collaboration between uncomfortable bedfellows which historically hasn't happened, but I think if the industry is going to take a step forward, that's the way to do it. Yeah, okay. Actually, Richard, it would be interesting to know your thoughts on this as well. You're obviously working at a, a smaller volume level at the moment, but presumably in your, using your technology and your automation, that includes forecasting software as well? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think one of the questions... We haven't got into data and take another hour to talk about data. But, you know, the first point is getting the data and segmenting the data. And then it's understanding the data. And you have to split it out those three ways, I think, to be able to make sense of it. But to Chris's point, I mean, it, it, Chris is going right to the center of, of, of what it needs to be. But, you know, if you said to a small business like us, why not ship three pallets, not one? Or why not ship 10 pallets, not three? Well, because we pay rent. And I can't give away all my margin that we make on the bottles or more just to make it slightly more eco-friendly. And I think this is the play. I agree with what Troy said. If you then said to the consumer, pay one pound extra on this bottle and it will be more eco-friendly, I don't think most of our customers would. And even though they're in the millennial bracket, you know, I think there's a play there where they expect, yeah, I mean, you, you could argue and say, why not ship your whole year's allocation now to ship everything for the whole year now for the whole of 2021 well it just wouldn't it wouldn't make sense from an economic standpoint standpoint it's it's a balance um and but i agree i mean troy's figures are astounding really for, for a business of our size but same for us if you know a, you know a client comes along and places a 10 20 000 pound order that clears us out of a certain thing and we couldn't predict it i mean you can't predict things you don't know because the data doesn't understand what's going on behind the scenes that they might have won a big contract which then requires a lot more wine. So there's only so much you can do. Um, yeah, there's only so much you can do. And it's a balance of, of, I think, how much rent you pay if you pay rent. And if you have your own warehouse, great. Um, versus how much you know. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, Troy, I'm going to come back to you once more, if I may, again, on one of the facts you mentioned, 20% of online retail is returned. Do you know what the figure is for wine? Yeah, well, it's very, very low. Most of the wine is breakages uh, and mispicks, misships um, at all. But, but, and I think my overall point was, um, unless you get to the fine wine where, you know, it's a questionable issue on people trying to return very expensive bottles after they've opened an ad half. But, um, 
But ultimately, I, I, I bring it up because I think it's an interesting channel that's growing that um, much like Richard's saying, it needs scale and, and the trucks that are going need to be filled. And so they want to fill it with everything. So the secondary wholesale model that's being generated, you know, we're, we're usually ambivalent uh, as a we're used to our old channels. And uh, sometimes it, it just we, we sort of lose sight of, of what the opportunity is. And, and um, as an example, we, we made it a push to go after some people that have different kinds of digital uh, markets. And so one of the food groups, you know, that sells meal kit meals to people, um, you know, we convinced them to, tr to put some wine in. And it obviously flew through the pandemic, people with a, a pretty standard view of it. So, so I think the digital transition is opening lots of different uh, areas that, that wine should look at hopping in, even if it's not necessarily developed initially for wine. I think that's an excellent conclusion to finish on. Uh, look, we've reached the end of the time here. Thanks so much, Chris, Anton, Troy and Richard. Thanks very much for your contributions. That was fascinating. And uh, if you were able to look at some of the chat, you'll have seen that it was very much appreciated. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of the day and hope you're able to attend some of the rest of the forum. Okay, cheerio. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Richard.